I don't know where you all are on your holiday decorating. I know that there are some folks who are like, it needs to happen the first week of December. There are some people who say, you know, I do it right after Thanksgiving. It's just something that we do. And I know that there are probably some of you out there who start on October 31st, about 11.50 at night. But whatever your practice, my guess is that it means hauling down boxes from different places and pulling them out of closets and getting them all arranged. And maybe you start with the tree. Maybe you start with just the decorations around the house. Maybe you start with the mistletoe. I don't know. But for us and our family, one of the most important times is when we start putting out the nativity. I think I've shared this with you before. We did add a nativity this year. It's one for Beckett. It's actually the peanuts because he loves to play with the nativity. And we all know that you try and put, especially the ones that are ceramic with big wings and things like that, you kind of need to keep it out of three-year-old's grasps. So he has Snoopy that he can play with and Charlie Brown and all that. But what's always interesting is when you begin to pull out that nativity, you begin to place the characters around there. Hopefully, you play with the, with the design of these figurines. I encourage you, play with your nativities. Group them in different places. Have you ever had the Magi talking to the shepherds? Did you see that soccer game the other day? I don't know, but, but when we play around with the, the position of these people, sometimes it does get a little humorous, but it gets us to think about how those interactions might have happened. What was going on with all the different characters within the story? Because each character within the story has something to say, has a part to play, and is essential. Today, the part of the narrative that we get, this meeting between Mary and Elizabeth, is important for a couple of different reasons. First off, I don't know if you noticed this, but there are only two characters in this story. And both of them are female. This is not something that we find traditionally within the biblical narrative. Throughout the Bible, there is generally a male figure in almost every single story. It was a patriarchal society. It was driven by that. So to have two women in a story, first and foremost, should get our minds going and start us thinking about this. Something is different here. Luke tells us, that these two women coming together is important and we need to listen to what's happening. As I started thinking about this interaction, I also noticed where it happened. It happened in the hillside, out in the country, of Judea. This is not a meeting that happens in Jerusalem, in the heart of where the Jewish faith was anchored by the temple or in a place of power. 
It was not held in Rome, where the Roman government was seated and where it found its place of power. It didn't even happen in Bethlehem or in Nazareth, two towns that have had historical significance to the Jewish people. No, this happens in a no-named place outside in the hill country. We could kind of say today, it happened in Appalachia, in a place where people are far too quickly written off and seen as less than. And it is here that these two women share a moment about what it means to be who they are and in the situation that they're in. Both of these women are in a particular place. Mary has just received news that she is pregnant with the baby of God that she will give birth to a Savior who will bring new life to this world. Mary, if we understand this correctly, is probably someplace around 13 or 14 years old. She is promised to be married, and that is about the age back in these days that they were promised to be married to Joseph. She is a seemingly insignificant young girl in a Roman-occupied land. Females did not have the importance that they seem to have today. We don't recognize, especially pregnant women, uh, we recognize them with more kind of beauty and recognize their importance than they did in that day. And especially with her being young and unwed. And then there's Elizabeth. Elizabeth was in her later years, that second half of life, thought to be barren. And that means that when they would have looked on her back then, she had one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to provide her husband with children. And Elizabeth had not been able to do that. So she was seen as less than within the community. These are the two people that Luke picks to come together. These are the two people that God has recognized as having a voice to share with us even to this day today. But there's another character that's in this. Most of us don't recognize this because we don't exist in this culture, in this context. But there is the character of David that exists in this. King David was a, was a baseline for all that happened in Israel and amongst the Jewish people. King David was that touch point to where Whatever conversation that you were having when you were talking about how things were today, you always looked back and you said, oh, I wish there was back like in David's time. That was that hearkening back. I know none of you hear that nowadays. Well, I just wish I could get back to the good old days. Well, they said that back then too. They wanted it to be more like it was when David was around. 
For us, we just don't exist in that, in, in that experience. I mean, here within our congregation, we don't talk about the glory days of King David. Most of the time when we hear about David, we hear about what? David and Goliath, right? Sadly, I heard that same metaphor this last week as my beloved Boilers were defeated by Rutgers basketball, and it was described as a David versus Goliath experience. And I heard it happened last night again when the Kentucky Wildcats were defeated by a David of Notre Dame. Now, Notre Dame would probably claim that they, well, who knows, but uh, sadly, that's where we get our experiences. Or maybe you get a children's book of David and Goliath, the slingshot that felled Goliath and saved the Israelite people. We generally don't talk about the fact that once David defeated the Philistine, that then he went over, took the Philistine sword, and just for good measure, chopped off his head. Do you tell that to your kids as a nice bedtime story? What's fascinating about this, though, is that when you really delve into who David was, he was a person of power. That while he may have come from humble roots as a shepherd, there is always this experience of the way that David did things as a place of power. You can reference things like the story of Bathsheba. You can reference stories in there about how he came to marry um, Saul's daughter. See, David was always willing to pull out the sword and to find peace within violence. So the thing is, is that it existed as a third character within our story today that in the midst of all this is always this underbeat of King David and the way that David did things. And that if they could only get back to the time when David gathered all of the people and had all of the enemies so scared out there because of his sword, that would be the time that God wanted us to go back to. But the reality is this, God is always challenging us to see a new way. Because that had not worked for years and years and years and years and years, and God said, I'm going to give you a new way of thinking about things, a new way of thinking about our relationship, and I'm going to let the women start the song. See... I think we love the Christmas story, but unless we can hear this story in contrast to the David story, I don't know if we can hear it fully. Because this story about these two women and about the, the little boys that they will give birth to is that they will come to speak a word for God that will look nothing like the words of our leaders from the past. First comes John the Baptist. 
He doesn't find his way to the church. He doesn't find his way to ornamental robes. He doesn't find his way to a place where he does things the same way that they've always been done. Instead, John the Baptist finds his way out into the wilderness and he finds his way out into the water with camel hair and he's eating locusts. And those are a bean. It's a fun thing to to Google sometimes. What is it that John the Baptist actually ate? But he's doing things so very different than the way they had been done in the past. He's saying there is a new way that's coming. And there's another voice that's going to come. And I need you to do something. I need you to repent. I need you to get involved and and to work on that relationship with the Almighty. Confess what's been holding you back. And recognize that we need to connect with God. Because there's another that is coming that's going to speak. Speak a word that we need to hear. Now, I know that we think of that and we think of baptism, repenting of our sins, and that seems kind of all right. But the reality was is back then, you didn't just go to God. You went to the church. You went to the officials. You went to the holy place. And they granted you forgiveness. But John the Baptist was changing things. He was getting the power out of the way. And he was saying, you get to go to God directly right now. Prepare yourself for hearing God's voice in a new way. And John begins to gather followers. He has his own disciples that are following him around, asking him questions, learning from him in between the times that he's preaching and when the times that he's baptizing. And one of those people that they believe is a young man, Jesus of Nazareth, who begins to follow John around, listening to what he has to say, asking questions, posing answers, before it becomes his time to step forward. And there it is. Jesus begins to teach and preach But does it happen first and foremost in a place like Jerusalem? Does it happen first and foremost in a place like Rome? Does it happen in a place of authority or things like that? No. Where is he found? He's found on the outskirts. He's found on those people that are pushed to the edges. And he's reminding everybody that God loves each and every person. That God is here for humanity. Not through places of power, but no. God wants a relationship with you. And where does he learn this song? Both John and Jesus learned this from the powerful women in their lives. But power did not come from money, did not come from kind of political authority did not come from a sword. Instead, it came from a place of compassion. From people who understood birth, who understood being on the outside, and who understood that God speaks to each of us. A new word that comes in a place of challenge as well as nurture. We might not know of David. But the reality is, is that are we continuing to look in our world today for David's to lead us? Do we still look to find people of power and 
and of authority to be the ones that connect us to God? Or does this Christmas story, this story of a young girl giving birth to the Savior of this world, do we hear that today? If we begin to embrace that story, we might get more than we bargained for. Play with your nativities this year. Maybe you need to make an Elizabeth out of some Play-Doh and put her in a conversation with Mary and hear what they have to say. When we do, we will discover more about this story than we can ever imagine. Let us go. Seeking those that speak, that speak with a word that invites us to connect with God from the outside, from the margins, from places that seemingly are weak, places of vulnerability, but more than anything, places of love. And let us do that together. Amen. Thank you for listening to the White Oak Pond Christian Church Podcast. We hope that it's been a blessing to you this day. White Oak Pond seeks to be a place where we accept one person at a time to Christ's never-ending and forgiving love. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can receive sermons each and every week. And also rate us. It really helps. Thank you again, and may you know joy in powerful ways this week.